Welcome to the Vox Pop, a podcast of Missio Day Church. At Missio Day, we believe that everyone has a story worth sharing, and this podcast gives voice to those stories. I'm Brian. And I'm Peter. We're your hosts. Welcome to the Vox Pop. Well, now that barbershops are back open, you're going to get a haircut looking a little scraggly there, Peter. Uh, I think I will. Your haircut looks good, and I saw Eli's on Zoom. Yep. It looks real sharp. These boys are looking fresh. Yes. We finally... Uh, we had not had haircuts since February 8th, I believe it was. I looked back on my calendar, and uh, we went almost as soon as we could. Uh, Ashley, who listens to the podcast, yeah. got out. us in. Shout out to What's Ashley and Joe. Called? Clipper and Comb. Clipper and Comb. On Sweet Creek, right by Rockies. Excellent. They are amazing. But yeah, I mean, I texted her as soon as we found out they were open. I said, hey, can we get in? We had to wait a week, but we finally got in on Sunday, and it feels so much better. Yeah, I need to get a haircut soon. I thought I might have to be one of those guys that just cuts their own hair. <laughs> oh, your wife cut your hair, didn't she? She did, and she did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful. I don't think she wants to long-term be a the barber of me. But yeah, the barber of me. <laughs> that I could be it. like a show. The, the barber yeah, of me. The barber of me. <laughs> Coming soon to yeah. A&E. Yep. Well, today I'd like to welcome to the podcast church member Jay Wilson, who is... Uh, uh, a longtime kind of friend acquaintance. We went to high school together, and uh, he and his wife, Kristen, have been part of Missio for the last few years. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you for having me. How are you handling the lockdown? It's been, uh, I'll be honest with you, life, the first two weeks, and, and I almost feel a bit ashamed to say this, first two weeks was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Honestly, the first two, like, had a lot of stuff going on, man. And, like, so that first two weeks, you know, when the world was like, this, it's ending, I was like, all right, this is a good way for it to end for me. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go out. We'll go out. It's on like, top all right, here. yeah. A lot of the people that needed stuff didn't need stuff anymore. I mean, people were in the house, you know. So those first two weeks were were nice. Now it's kind of it's been ups and downs, you know. Trying to figure out, you know, new family dynamics, kids being home all the time and right. schooling, and me working from home. I feel really blessed because I haven't, you know, lost my job. My wife still has her job at the hospital. And, Nobody's sick, everybody's safe, so it's, mm-hmm. it's been good. Yeah. How was homeschooling for you guys? Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. I would have, <laughs> if, if, if maybe with some heads up, it might have been good, but, uh, and I know the, the city did the best they could. They just started off with these huge packets and was like, all right, go home and do this, and yeah. which is tough because my wife is great at math and I can't add. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, we had to kind of split up the work a little bit and trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. And there are some pieces that I enjoy about it now because I get to incorporate things during the day um, that she wouldn't normally get at school. Yeah. Her teaching. So that, that part of it's been good. Well, we're recording this on June 4th. Clearly, there have been uh, a lot of unfortunate events in the last several weeks yeah. that have transpired. Of course, uh, even this week, there have been massive protests and riots and all these kinds of things uh, in response to the, just the senseless deaths of several uh, African-American folks in our country. And uh, Jay, I just wanted so desperately to have your perspective as as a, an African-American in our congregation. How have the events that have transpired over the last few weeks affected you personally, uh, both as a black man yeah. and as a Christian? It has been, uh, it's brought conversations to the forefront, it, but it's also, I am a student of history. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 
my feelings haven't changed. Right. Um, I, I think it has been disheartening to watch uh, friends and coworkers say things that are really insensitive. People that you consider, you know, even brothers and sisters in Christ to say things that really are unchristian and, and, and think that it's okay as long as you're, if you're talking about race, that kind of absolves you from having to be sensitive anymore. Right. You know, it's been, and it's been hard because it's been, it's a constant conversation. You know, I know people in the city and I try to do things to help out. And I'm, I'm also a master social work student. And this is kind of what we do. We talk about what well, this is what the things that we talk about. Yeah. I also live close to downtown. So I get to hear when curfews up and things like that happening. It has been a stressful time, but it's, it's also been for me a hopeful time, but I'm a strong believer in that discomfort causes change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what, what I'm hopeful is that people are more uncomfortable than they've ever been. And I'm hopeful that that will lead to some really good conversations. And I know that it will lead to some friendships broken. I know that it sure. may lead, lead to churches splitting. I know that it will lead to a lot of discomfort, but I'm hopeful at the end, we will be we will be closer to real peace than we've ever had before. Yeah. One of the things I, I said yesterday in a little note that I put out to the church was, yes, the riots and the protests and the destruction, the violence side of it is unfortunate, but if our focus becomes on that, we we actually lose focus on the flashpoint, uh, which which is the systemic oppression and uh, violence towards oh, in trouble. You say systemic and things like that. That's when it gets <laughs> ugly. <laughs> That's right, but yeah. it's true, right? And so That's we have true. to we have to acknowledge that the most recent events are just one flashpoint yeah. mm -hmm. um, that that has been repeated. You know, there are flashpoints along the way that are all pointing us back to the same thing. Same thing. that that I think, yeah. and I'm I'm just curious for your thoughts on this. I think that white evangelicals are now finally way too late in coming but finally starting to acknowledge take ownership of and say no more this has to stop yeah i would definitely agree with that i think you know for me when i have these conversations i go to baylor university which is a christian school right but it, they are very open yes to your interpretation yes <laughs> of of christian and even in those circles right I always and I and I let them know it's funny because we have group chats and things and they and there were other people of color in there but they said they said Jay we like the way you talk you're the leader here what do we what do we do what do we say mm. and I always say you got to understand where I'm coming from I can't have these conversations without Christ I can't that's right can't have these conversations about race and not and not we can talk about the problem but I can't have conversations with you with you without talking about the solution and it's interesting because when, when, when in any other relationships, when we talk about violence, do we allow people to only talk about the, the result of a behavior mm -hmm. and not talk about the root cause, right? And in, in this situation, that seems to be what everybody's doing. They're saying, well, look what you did. I can't do that with my wife. Right. 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 So if I, if, I, <laughs> if I do something and she's flipping out and I say, you know what, what you, the way you're behaving is, is totally incorrect. Yeah. And that's the way and I keep pushing that narrative. Mm -hmm. We're not going to have a relationship. That's We're right. just going to continue to battle. Yeah. So if we don't deal with the root cause and and we keep telling people to be quiet and deal with the root cause, people are still people are just going to be get angry cuz people they want to be heard. Yeah. 
That's right. I think as MLK said that yeah. you know, riot is is the right. la- or the language of the unheard. That's a fact. Can you describe what it was like for you to grow up in a predominantly white city? Yeah, Asheville is a, Asheville is different because Asheville it holds itself up as being diverse. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. It's hard for Asheville to have those type of conversations because mm-hmm. they already think that they're diverse. Right. Mm-hmm. But what, what diverse, and, and these are views of Jay Wilson, not Missio Day Church. <laughs> <laughs> but, Put but the what, disclaimer in there. Right. But what diverse has always meant for Asheville is, you know, homosexual people who uh, subscribe to a certain ideology of, of being free. Mm-hmm. That's what Asheville means when they, when they say diverse. It's always been frustrating because even growing up as a kid, there were never really diverse things to do. There were never th- really things that the Shiloh kids could go and feel welcome at in Asheville. And I can remember even back then having church people and things like that, you know, trying to go to the city and say, we need to, let's do some other things here for some other people. And it really just falling on deaf ears. So, mm-hmm. you know, I remember us as kids getting into things and, and, and I'm not, and I'm not meaning to put off responsibility, but just saying it's easy to call Divert something diverse when you're not dealing with diverse people. So right. it's always it's always been a frustrating thing. I mean, Asheville's just at a seventy eight percent white, right. you know. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of sense of diversity because we're maybe more diverse in socioeconomics or right. in education or in other things. But in terms of ethnic or racial diversity, right. you know, we're very whitewashed. Very. And, and if you look at Asheville, a lot of people don't understand, like even Burton Street is historically yeah. African-American and yep. places downtown. And there's a lot of reasons why they're not anymore that we could, you know, mm-hmm. it's a different conversation, but that's frustrating. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. very, very frustrating. And people, people don't realize that. Yeah. The gentrification of some yeah. of these neighborhoods exactly. that have been historically black neighborhoods. Exactly. You grew up here. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious just if there are, you know, where one or two, you kind of alluded to it already, but what maybe one or two defining moments for you uh, growing up in this city that have shaped the way that you kind of view white Asheville? Yeah. One of the things that that always comes to my mind is, and I always forget if it was the end of elementary school or the start of middle school, but it was around that time and I had a teacher and we very rarely learn about, especially back when I was younger, black heroes mm-hmm. and, and, you know, people of color that have done more than be slaves. Mm-hmm. And I remember in history class, I remember us talking about slavery. And I remember she, her saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with a little hard work. And I don't get why people act this way. And even without being in full, full view as a kid about what all that meant, I remember thinking, man, that's messed up. Yeah. Like, that's, that's not what this was. This wasn't like a little bit of, little bit of hard work. Right. So I definitely remember that. Uh, I remember as a kid, one of my influences growing up, I call him Pop. He wasn't my dad, but he's definitely a father figure, white Taekwondo instructor. And I remember going out to his son's football game. It was at North Bunkham, I'll say it. And I remember just walking as a young kid, I was just walking, and I remember, N-word, you know, wait a minute. Yeah, I remember first thing thinking. I hope I hope Pop doesn't hear that because he's not going to tolerate that. Mm. It's, it'll be all, and we'll all be out here fighting. He's not going to. And by the way, he teaches Taekwondo, yeah. so he probably yeah. knows a and thing. He or was two. young then; he he yeah. would have got busy with me. <laughs> but <laughs> I just remember that and just feeling not welcome, feeling less about myself. Yeah, because I think that that people don't 
realize that gets internalized before it gets externalized. Mm. I remember thinking, you know, bad about myself. Yeah. yeah. And that was the nineties. Right. It wasn't even exactly, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not 1960. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Jay, what are your thoughts on the black lives matter movement? So I want to be real sensitive because I have people that I consider friends that are officially mm-hmm. the black lives matter movement. I think the one thing that people have to realize before you get into a conversation about black lives matter with a yeah. black person, yeah. you need to define the terms Okay, mm-hmm. because not every person that says black lives matter is talking about an organization. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, so, so you automatically can cause some really tough feelings when you start the conversation with, I don't want to hear nothing about that black lives matter. Yeah. Right. Right. So as far as the organization, I am not a not a member of Black Lives Matters organizationally. You know, there are things that I agree with them on, but there are certain there's uh, certain platforms that I, I just can't. I'm just opposed to. Well, I think there's an important distinction that you're making there yeah. too, because I don't think that everyone, Absolutely. at least in the white community, knows that there's a difference right, right between the official organization right. that goes by Black Lives Matter and just the phrase, right? Yeah. right. Or the ideology right. that Black Lives Matter. Right. Mm-hmm. So can you just sort of nuance those sure. a little bit? I think the the organization of Black Lives Matter has a political agenda, right? That they're that they're trying to push, and it has a outline set of action plans. It has an outline set of the people that they are in partnership with. Yep. So I think one thing that can happen with even with organizations that you don't get tattooed on your arm, and I'll say it, you know, it happened with the Tea Party. Mm-hmm. You don't. You can identify with yourself as whomever you'd like to and then go out and do whatever you want to and say, hey, I'm a member of the Tea Party. Right. Right. Or, or you can say, I'm a part of Black Lives Matter and go out and do whatever you want to and say, I'm a member of us. As Christians should know that. Mm-hmm. We yeah. should be the first people to identify with. There are people that are saying Christian yeah. and doing a lot of, and don't represent that. So That's I think right. it's important to remember that. They're, that you know, just because somebody says Black Lives Matter and if they do something immoral – doesn't necessarily mean that they're a card-carrying member of Black Lives Matter. So right. we, mm-hmm. we got to remember that. Mm-hmm. But as far as just the statement Black Lives Matter and the mantra, I think it is more speaking about there is a history in this country. There is a prevailing thoughts about black people in this country and their humanity that that statement is trying to address, yeah. is that black lives do matter. And I'm with that statement, and I will mm-hmm. I will use the statement Black Lives Matter, but I'm not talking about an organization. Thanks for clarifying that. I sure. I would count myself among the people that did not fully grasp the distinction yeah. of the vocabulary yeah. that we're using. And it's it is difficult because those things get conflated, Absolutely. right? So so easily. You know, our country is almost proud of the fact that we're we are binary. So to be for one thing means you're necessarily against another thing. Mm. And so I think that's where a lot of the backlash, you know, when when that phrase first started to rise to the occasion was for people to say Black Lives Matter, some people heard that as, oh, and other lives don't. And that was completely the opposite of the meaning. It was just to say that Black lives also matter. Right. (laughs) And yet, to your point earlier, to hear people who you're friends with or who claim the name of Christ right. to speak out against the phrase is very disheartening. Or to say, well, blue lives also matter. Of course right. they do. Of course, of course do. the right. all lives matter because our foundation is that all people are image bearers of God, right? And so how we get so defensive so quickly about 
phrases and what I hear you not saying by what you are saying. Um, that's where we've, we've got to stop and listen to what each other are really trying to say right. with our words and empathize. You have been in law enforcement you, as yeah. a corrections officer. And yeah. so, you know, you have a privilege perhaps to see from that vantage point, Absolutely. you know, as well as as a black man. And I just wondered if you just wanted to speak into that for a second about having been a corrections officer and a black man, what, what your perspective is on uh, when you hear things like Blue Lives Matter or yeah. the, that kind of thing. Like, Absolutely. You know, one of the things I can identify with is law enforcement frustration with people and not understanding what they do yeah, and what they're being asked to do daily and the type of people they're being asked to interact with. And I think we have to have honest conversations about that too. Mm-hmm. You, know, the, you know, the answer is not just, I hate police. The right. answer is not just police put your weapons down. Like that's, that's not the answer. We are asking law enforcement to do a lot and they're not interacting every day with people that want to hold their hands and sing. Right. You know, mm-hmm. they're not. But also, even when I was a corrections officer, when you have more power than citizens, that needs to show in, in the responsibility and things that you do with that power. I am a big believer in that. I don't, I don't think that the conversation should be more onus needs to be on citizens than, it, than officers. I just don't believe that that's, that's yeah. the way it's supposed to be. And also, even as a corrections officer, I had to hold a very tough line with my fellow officers when it came to race. One of the biggest thing that frustrates me is the same officers that I, that I worked with that came to me when te- and would tell me that my sergeants and my lieutenants were calling me the N-word, were calling inmates N-words, are the same ones denying racism. It's madness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. Like The same people that would come to me, Jay, I like you. I want you to know this is what's happening. Yeah. Are the same people that are saying, it's only a couple bad eggs. What are y'all talking about? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You were the same... Yeah. You said, you yeah. know, yeah. you forgot. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. And I've been able to witness, you know, how minorities are treated mm-hmm. a lot of times in the criminal justice system. I've seen paperwork of crimes and put them side by side. And the funny thing is, so have those officers and mentioned it to me. I've seen it side by side, almost exact same crimes and how they're treated. Disproportionate. Disproportionate. Just yeah, punishment. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and, and it's, and it's, so on the one end, I sympathize with the difficulty of the job. But at the same end, you cannot call yourself good when you allow people to be treated unfairly and in in, in you're part of the justice system. Right. You just can't. The onus lies on you to do the right thing. Right. And I also want to say, you know, my brother-in-law is a police officer and he's a good man. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a good guy. And I, and I, I feel for him. Yeah. You know, and I don't think it's fair for him to be treated unfairly. Right. You know, also. But yeah, my experience has definitely been one of I've seen firsthand the problem, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which a lot of you talk to a lot of African-American officers, they'll tell you the same thing. Yeah. You know, how do you maintain hope for the future when progress seems so slow in coming? Man, that's a question in and out of these moments that I have to ask myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the the truth is just as a Christian, I understand that. God is with us, right? God is God is on our side and that really the people that should be afraid, right, are the people that are not chasing down the racism in their heart. Mm-hmm. Right? Cuz I heard it I heard it from Malcolm Foley say that oppressors they're they're going to stop. 
right? And it's either going to be by destruction or conversion, mm. right? And I, I'm not talking about in the physical. Right. Hopefully not. Man, I, you know, when you really start to think about it, there is almost no other sin that we will um, give Grandpa Joe an excuse for, right? Right. When we talk about racism, we'll say, I know that Grandpa Joe doesn't like, you know, black people, but but he he also grew up in the night. It doesn't work like that. Sin just doesn't work like that. That's right. Yeah, we wouldn't say the same thing about adultery or absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a sin, and you should be very afraid if that's if yeah. that sin is, if that if that sin is in your heart. And and if you think that it's not, I can tell you, as fallen people, there's probably some of it in there, mm-hmm. and that you should go chase it down and you should deal with it. And I and I just try to remember that God is with the brokenhearted. God is God is with you know, people that get treated the least mm-hmm. and he, and he is on our side and ultimately we're going to win. Now I, I hate when people say, well, then you shouldn't be angry and you shouldn't be dis- you, you should be dispassionate then. Mm-hmm. It's not true as a Christian. I I get more upset about injustice because I know that there's a way it ought to be. That's right. right? right? And yeah. so it's painful, especially man. And even thinking about it, it gets, especially for Christians that just don't get it that subscribe more to, you know, Christian nationalism yes, mm-hmm. than other people being image bearers of God. You can't assault and mistreat image bearers of God and think you're going to get away with it. Right. You're not. And you can't be quiet about it mm-hmm. and think you're going to get away with it either. You know, the gospel makes us do, makes us act and do tangible things. And everybody's not going to do act in the same way, but it's, it's going to make you pray. It's going to make you speak up yeah. for people. Yeah. And it is painful when people that take say I'm a Christian and this is why I'm not doing that. It's yeah. just it's just it doesn't work like that. Yeah. yeah. I was listening to a, a pastor this morning from the Charlotte area talking about some of the platforms that evangelicals rightly grab hold of. Abortion, for instance, right? And we will protest, say that these babies' lives matter and, and he said, Yes, and we should, and also. Right. There are image bearers of God that we can see with our eyes right in front of us, and we will not fight for them the Amen. way that we fight for these unborn. Amen. And uh, it needs to happen. It's a both and, not an either or. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what are the things that you hear, the responses that you hear from from the white community, white evangelical community particularly, that, that frustrate you? And what are a few of the things that are that are actually encouraging to you as as you're hearing people respond? Yeah. One of the things that's always a big aversion is the abortion issue. Yeah. And you, you hear it. So I used to call myself a part of the reform culture until I realized it's more toxic than I mm. want to be. But I do consider myself generally in the reform tradition. But that is especially a big thing for reform Christians to divert the topic and begin to talk about, well, you're not saying anything about abortion. That's that's very frustrating because that's easy to do when you're talking about image bearers that don't demand anything from you. Right. Right? That's 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 easy for you to do. And that's not that still doesn't give a reason for the behavior of this country, right? So that's very frustrating. It's very frustrating when I see white Christians use the Bible in the same way that white slave owners that call themselves Christians mm-hmm. use it in order to get you know, subservience or to get Christians to be quiet or to simply just pray and be quiet. That's that's extremely frustrating. And it's frustrating when I see white Christians make statements. The, probably 
I don't take a lot of things on social media. I try to take it that serious, but I did see probably the only meme in this that I, that has really broken my heart was was this this meme, and I can't remember it all, but it said, and it was in capital letters, it said, you burnt down your neighborhood, mm. you assaulted these people, you did this, and we tried to listen, but now you don't get a chance. Mm. Like, yeah. really? And you, and you think that that's, that's yeah. why people were angry, like, how dare yeah. you? Yeah. Even talking about it, like how how dare you? Yeah, you know, like in four hundred years, this was your one shot, <laughs> right? Right. And right. you now missed you it. Don't, now you don't get a chance. Anymore, yeah. Right. And so the things that that make me hopeful, I think that I have definitely seen from white Christians wanting to talk and have conversations, and saying, you know what, maybe I don't understand, maybe I don't get it. You know, mm-hmm. maybe we need to have these conversations in our church, and maybe we need to not assume things about our congregation and assume that all, all of our experiences are the same. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that that is, that is a beautiful thing. And that's how you make, you, you make people, you feel people's humanity and you make them feel yours. And I think that that is, that's been a, that's been a beautiful thing to watch, you know, my white Christian brothers and sisters step up and just be like, let's talk. Yeah. Can we talk about this? And, and, and are there some things that maybe you can help me understand that I don't get? What, what do you think we're not asking that we should be asking? And I mean, we as white evangelicals, what are, yeah. what are questions that you're not hearing people ask, but they should be? You know, I think, I think the questions as far as in our churches, we have to be willing to hold, you know, church culture lightly, right? Yeah. So I think what can happen is in quote unquote black churches and white churches, we, especially if there's a predominance there, if one's predominantly white or black, and there's not representative, you know, on staff or in the congregation, what can happen is accidentally the culture mm-hmm. and the music and everything can become very white or black culture. And it feels it feels unwelcoming, even though that is not that's out of ignorance. Yeah. That's not that's not always what people want. I think you have to sit down. Christian have to Christians have to sit down in churches and with with outside of echo chambers and and just ask questions because not everybody's going to feel, you know, feel exactly the same. But I think, you know, what is our church doing to make sure that we are representative? And I don't mean seeker sense. I'm, that's not what I'm talking sure. about, right? Mm-hmm. What what, are, what is our church doing to make sure that we are culturally humble? What can we do better? Um, does our church sit in a community where our staff and our people don't aren't as diverse as that community. And then what can we do about it? You know? Yep. Um, I think those are the type of questions that we got to ask. Yeah. That's something I've been wrestling with for, you know, the last few years, sure. obviously, is, as we've kind of moved back into West Asheville and, and now, I mean, as you mentioned, right. Burton Street, we're right. adjacent to Burton Street yep. here. You know, we are a mostly white church and, you know, you can sort of hide behind that and say, well, Black people just don't, don't come to our church, right. but well, there's probably a reason, right? Right. And so, what is it that we are doing or not doing right. that would that would make people of any color feel unwelcome or like they just don't fit into this family? Because if we are going to be representative of the kingdom of God, right. you know, there are all tribes, tongues, and nations should Absolutely. be represented, no matter what the demographic of the city is. Right. The church ought to reflect the kingdom, and uh, right. and we are not there yet by any stretch of the mm-hmm. imagination. Absolutely. Well, we want to ask you more about uh, your life as a young person. Who are some of the main influencers in your life? Pop, uh, Mr. Tenor, 
I hesitate saying this in front of his, it's, it's master tenor is his title. Cause that's his, that has nothing to do with him being my master, but that yes. is, that is his title as a Taekwondo instructor. But I always, I always called him pop growing up cause that's what his sons called him. Mm-hmm. And so outside of class, I call him pop, you know, and he, he has always been a big influence on me growing up. He took me places, allowed me to help me to see things um, that I probably wouldn't have seen otherwise. So him definitely growing up, my mom, of course, uh, just a strong, very well-educated lady. I will absolutely say, you know, uh, Pastor Billy, he decided one day, and he's in town, he decided one day to take a group of men and do a Bible study in his basement. And we did that for, I don't know, it might have been a year, I think twice a week. And, man, that was a huge time of growth for me, Mm. huge time of growth. There's a guy named Elder Rush at the church down the street here from Lord's Church of Asheville that has been a big influence on me. Um, And, and, you know, Pastor Hughes from the the same church. And definitely, you know, C.S. Lewis was huge. (laughs) Robbie Zacharias, Mm -hmm. man, was huge. Frederick Douglass. Jay, when did when did faith really become a real part of your life? I know you kind of grew up going yeah. to church, but yeah. yeah, when did your relationship with Jesus really start taking off? Yeah, I grew up going to church. My my father was a Pentecostal pastor um, at a church actually here in town. I grew up. I grew up. I, I never, and it's interesting because I've I've always had these wrestlings with God, but I've never not believed. You know, I just never have. I have questions a lot of things because, you know, my dad was an alcoholic and he was abusive as well. But it's so, it's interesting. And I think that pain, while it made me wrestle with God, uh, I also it also drew me to God. Because when you're in situations like that, you know, and there's abuse going on and nobody to tell or talk to, it's going to drive you someplace, right? Yeah. It's going to drive you somewhere. And for me, you know, crying out to God is a thing that I'm used to. So I think, you know, even as a kid, I knew there was there was there was a God. It was absolutely true. And even though I watched people in church, quote unquote, Christians do a lot of bad things. And I'm not sure. I think it's just God keeping and preserving me. I didn't really, for the most part, charge that to God. And I don't know how I mm-hmm. think it was just God, you know, preserved me. But outside of that, really that time uh, with Pastor Billy and those in his basement with those like six or seven other men. And just getting into the word was was a huge, huge growth time in my life. Yeah. How old were you yeah. when that happened? I was probably twenty three. Okay. So. Yeah. Really formative time yeah. as a young man. Yeah. What kind of kid were you? Do you have siblings? I was a bad kid. <laughs> <laughs> I have siblings. Was I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I have an older sister. She's about five years older than me. Um, we're not we're not very close. But as a kid growing up, I mean. I was, you know, I was heavily involved in martial arts. I mean, mm-hmm. heavily. And that kept me away from a lot of stuff. You know, thank God. There was a time I remember when a close group of friends of mine went out and did some stuff. And all those close groups of friends says they have felonies because of it. And I was supposed to be there. They've all got felonies because wow. of it. But I had Taekwondo stuff to go do. So it was, it's, you know, I had that. That was a huge part of my life. You know, I didn't really, I played football my freshman year, and that was it. And I and I, I hated it because it took away from me going doing taekwondo tournaments and mm-hmm. stuff. So I had that, but you know I wasn't you know the best student growing up. I wasn't the best behaved student, but uh, you know uh, I could I could have been way worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know. There's your reformed theology exactly. coming out. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> totally, but not utterly <laughs> depraved. Exactly. 
what are some of the most transformative moments uh, you've experienced in your life? I think definitely, I'd say the most recent was God bring me my wife, mm. for sure, you know, coming out of a really tough, bad experiences. And God still bringing me a really godly woman did a lot for me, I think, my relationship, you know, w- with God. That that definitely has been been huge. Again, I, I come back to just those times in that basement with Pastor Billy. Yeah. It was definitely, definitely huge. God, you know, bringing my friend, you know, my best friend Zach into my life uh, who has been there through some of the toughest parts of my life, which has really shown me how to be a really good friend um, and how to really dig in with people, uh, even when it gets tough, has been a been a really good uh, example for me as well. Can you talk about how you met your wife? <laughs> I'm supposed to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it right now. Uh, I can. So I met her on... It was an app, and I'm trying to think of the name of the app because it's not one of those apps. Yeah, so, not that kind of app. But I was on there, and she was on there just like profiles weren't all the way filled out. And honestly, it wasn't anything that I was taking serious. I had been single for three years, and I was just on there, and she said something about God, and she was cute. I was like, all right, and then she wanted to go out. And then we had like a really great conversation, you know, a really great conversation, and we realized we were on the same page, so – I guess an app. It can work for some people. That's right. It, you know, yeah. It can work for them. Hey. But not one of those apps. That's not, not one of those. That's <laughs> not going to get you. Yeah. But you know, it's. I think I mentioned this to you when we did pre-marriage counseling, but, uh, and your wife's name is Kristen. It is, yeah. Um, and uh, there have been quite a number of couples uh, that I've, I've had the privilege of performing their wedding ceremonies who met online. Yeah. And I think it's just another avenue. I mean, God uses all things, and uh, he's right. used technology to connect people who living in the same city but had no idea you know of one another and uh perhaps would not have met uh but for that so in in his providence uh, he even uses things like technology to bring you together what do you most admire about your wife she's a no matter what always bring things brings whatever problems back around to the solution you know always Always. And sometimes I get I get mad, like, you know, like I'll text her and I'll be like, and I did it the other day. I was like, man, I got this, this going on. Oh, by the way, don't send me no scriptures, okay? I said that to her. <laughs> I said, don't send me no scriptures. Don't you Jesus juke right? me. Don't send me no scriptures. Don't talk to me about who you're going to get to pray for me. I don't, I don't. But she, she always brings it back home. That's, I think she does a lot of role modeling for me without even knowing it. Yeah. Her relationship with God is, is one of sweetness and really looking at God as tangible father um, and being in real relationship with him. And I, I admire that. You went to Baylor? Or? So I didn't. People just going, yeah. I actually, I, so I, undergrad was Liberty University. Oh, can yeah. You, can you imagine? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, undergrad was criminal justice okay. at Liberty University. And then I have recently, I, I'm in my second semester of my master's of social work with Baylor University. Okay. So we were talking before we started recording about your work, but yeah. can you explain to the listeners what you do for work? I was a corrections officer mm-hmm. for three years. Uh, and prob- and I think it's been nine to 10 months now. I've been the client services coordinator for a family visitation program in Henderson County. 
And what I do is I do case management and I also help. So basically I help set up visitation between for parents that are usually court, usually court ordered to not be alone with their children and mm-hmm. that they need some sort of a structure setting with people that have been educated mm-hmm. and how to deal with those situations. So it's, it's, I do monitor those visits, but that's not, that's not a part of my everyday thing. Mm-hmm. I monitor the monitors a lot, but it's really just my job to set up and help children maintain relationships with parents, even if there have been some really tough things happen. Mm-hmm. I think the philosophy of the family visitation program, and it is evidence-based that a lot of the time, not all the time, that even when there are really tough things that have happened in families, it more often than not, children have better outcomes when they're able to still maintain relationships Wow, in a safe yeah. way. How has that changed during this time of self-isolation? Yeah, it's it's been really tough. I mean, there are, I think one thing people don't realize there there are definitely people not seeing their kids. A lot of times we deal with court orders and so a lot of times it's not safe for custodial parents to take their children to 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 see non-custodial parents. But what we're trying to do is we are figuring out a way to get back in the office to make these things happen in person. But for right now, we are doing those things over video. I do monitor those visits between um, custodial and non-custodial parents and help help non-custodial parents see their kids on video for now. How do you see your work as part of your Christian life? As tough as it may be, reconciliation is a thing that mm-hmm. we as, as Christians um, strive for. And I think that's a, even if that's, I consider that to be a big part of my job. And m- you know, unfortunately, more often than not, in this particular job, you know, these kids don't go back to these custodials, right? And a lot of times what happened, what winds up happening is when kids don't see one parent, they get mad at the other parent, and then they build up this idea in their head about the non-custodial parent, and they become bigger than, you know, maybe what they really are. Yeah. And so if they can see that parent every day and who they really are, that actually helps the bond between the custodial parent oh, yeah. because you're not real life is in front of you. Right. Mm-hmm. So really my job is really more for kids, you know, children reconcile their relationship with their parents. And that looks different a lot of times than what we normally may think of like reconciliation. But yeah. Yeah. Now we need to talk about your rap career just <laughs> for a second. Yeah. So you go by J solo yeah. as your, your rap name, your handle, name. your... <laughs> we don't say handle. <laughs> Shows my ignorance. Rap name, yeah. 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 What you've written, you've recorded. Yeah. What, yeah. you still do much of that or what, how'd you get into much. it? I haven't done much. There are a couple of things that I'm working on. Um, uh, my daddy taught me that as an organization here in Asheville. has asked me to write yeah. the theme song that I've actually finished up. Oh, that's fantastic. Did a lot more with it with the counterculture crew that you can look up. There's still songs and whatnot on... On the internet, you can look up Counterculture Crew. Um, but, yeah, just musically, it's it's just been a, a, a Christian rap is my thing. I love, like, solid Christian rap. and I, yeah. But not just solid. Th- I like people that can rap for real. Yes. Yeah. Like, yes. I, it's cool just hearing you, you know, break down theology. But, but I want to hear some skill with it as well. So, so yeah, we've rapped all over Asheville. In Atlanta, we did the Orange Pit. Like, we, yeah. we did a lot of different things when we were – more involved, but people got to work and 
mm-hmm. had families and got <laughs> yeah. married and stuff. Life gets in the way. <laughs> Life got in the way, yeah. Could you uh, just throw down a couple of lines? I can give you for a little something. This give is us just, a couple of bars. I, just, uh, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Uh, my God is no fairy tale. Sold himself to the willing. So we made a whole tape with Peter Pan stories with no villain. That's no hook. Pass no look. Do what he told me. I came in wanting to be a be a clone. Kobe, Jumpman 23, but I don't want to be Mike. Yeah, he caught air, but he could never reach my God's height. What's love got to do with it, huh? Tina Turner, Ike. Everything. These doctors just killing us. Rest in peace, Mike. They don't have the answers. Just pump you full of medicine. Have you flying higher than rocket fuel? Fuel just jettison. Thank you, God, for waking me up. Grateful you chose me. Gave me a license to kill Shank and the old me. Yeah. That's light. That's light. Dope. That's dope. That's awesome. Light. <laughs> That's light. Ha <laughs> 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 All right. I work with teenagers. And yes, sir. what would you recommend, aside from the, you said counterculture? Yeah. Um, what other Christian rappers would you recommend? Yeah, I've got old man teenagers yeah. tasting music is trash. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. I've Let's just record old. that over and I've over. No, yeah. But man, so yeah. So a lot of things that teenagers like I don't like, but there are but I also want to be clear that there are there's quality Christian music out yeah. there. Oh, so yeah. so I definitely like like Bizzle, uh Ishan Burgundy, Dre Murray. I mean, even you know, beautiful eulogy. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I like a, a, a certain type of rap. So yeah. Okay. I enjoy some things Lecrae does. Yeah. Um, that's fair. But generally, but Triple E, I think, is I've always, KB, mm-hmm. KB is KB. the guy who I thought has always really, really, I enjoyed from, yeah. from that from that crew. Yeah. Well, we're going to do a little thing we call the lightning round, which is just right. going to be uh, some rapid fire questions. And so just your, your gut response. All right. What's one thing that can make you instantly feel better? Instantly, juice. That's part of my problem. I like juice. <laughs> like it too much. Yeah. I like What's the go-to? What juice? Like orange or apple? It doesn't matter. Apple. Any juice. Any juice. Yeah, it's got to be real juice, though. Yeah, yeah. 100% juice. Yeah. yeah, none of this Tampico stuff. Yeah, yeah don't water it down for yeah. me. Yeah. No, give me, give me all <laughs> of it. If you could time travel, when would you go? Hmm, I'd go to the future. I'd, I don't think I'd, I don't probably wouldn't go back. I'd go to like, 2060 yeah that's awesome very few people yeah. pick the future yeah. and i think it's yeah amazing to want to go to the yeah. future you're yeah. a big sci-fi fan too so I am. That's why, <laughs> you want to know if i am yeah i was born to captain a starship so yep yeah, yeah. <laughs> gonna go to the moon <laughs> childhood nickname <laughs> um shadow was one that's the only one i don't talk about <laughs> <laughs> oh there are sec- I'll, I'll ask Kristen for your other nicknames yeah. <laughs> Cilantro, love it or hate it? No, love, I hate it. Yeah, no. We learned that it was genetic. Have yeah. you heard that? No, it probably is. I don't know. I don't think my mom likes it either. <laughs> <laughs> and did you panic buy toilet paper when COVID started? I didn't. Right before my wife had, like, we had all types of toilet paper. <laughs> we had toilet paper. So I didn't. I did go out. I tried to get my mom some. Mm-hmm. So I went out and I tried to panic buy, panic buy for her. Yeah. But I couldn't. But not for yourself. Not for myself. Yeah. You wouldn't just give her some of yours, Jay? Nah, she does. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the last binge-worthy show or book you couldn't put down? I only read school books uh, right now. But mm-hmm. the last, I guess really the last thing that I binge would be Star Trek Picard. My wife loved it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Is that a, a new rendition? It is. It's the reviving of the Picard character. Yeah. 
Okay. That's, a, that's a big deal. Yep. Well, right. Jay, uh, man, it, this has been rich and very encouraging and informative, and I think will be a blessing to our church family. So Absolutely. thank you on behalf of our community. And this has been another episode of the Vox Pop. If you are interested in being a guest on a future episode, you can email us at voxpop at mdcashville.org. That's V-O-X-P-O-P at mdcashville.org. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, y'all.